Hey y'all, welcome to Watch. This is the first episode. We are so happy to have you. Watch is a fantasy book podcast for enemies and lovers. If you love when there's only one bed left in the inn, if you love when a human girl has latent magical powers and or daddy issues, this might be the podcast for you. We're going to be recapping our favorite fantasy slash mostly romance novels. Yeah, TBD with like a heavy hand on romanticy mm-hmm. because that's the most fun. Should we quickly introduce ourselves? Just quickly. Don't worry. We're not going to be one of these podcasts that's like, you know, this is how we met. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, you don't care about us yet. With time, you will. But you don't right now, and that's okay. Yeah, no. We will earn your friendship. Don't worry about it. But we're going to have a healthy parasocial relationship. (laughs) Yes. Totally. But for now, I'm Dina. I'm Will. And I'm Rachel. And we are your hosts for Watch. If you need some way to recognize us before we are friends slash have healthy parasocial relationships, I, Dina, am the one who might occasionally have a Staten Island accent. I'm like token, token male. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like in these books, they're always males, you know? (laughs) Yeah, he's the guy. (laughs) A token male energy. Slash boy boss. Yeah. Thank you. You're the boy boss. This is Rachel, and I'm the one who always sounds tranquilized, even when I'm really excited, okay? I sound a little (laughs) bit tranquilized, but I swear I'm so pumped for this. Rachel, one person said that one time, and I don't think it's true. Thank you. Okay, so you might be asking yourselves, like, what do we have to offer? (laughs) Like, what is the source of our expertise? And I can just say, personally speaking, when I turned 11 and I didn't get my owl from Hogwarts, <laughs> I spent the rest of the day wandering around my backyard with a stick pointing it at things because I just really desperately wanted magic to make my life more interesting. That's so funny, Will, because around the same time I had read Matilda and I would sit in my bedroom staring at objects <laughs> in my room and trying to move them. <laughs> Rachel, did you have a more normal childhood? (laughs) No, I wouldn't say so. Certainly not. (laughs) My childhood, of course, had the Harry Potter of it all, but also I was a Tamora Pierce girly growing up. And if you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. But I was really into Lady Nights. And my second AOL screen name was, uh, I believe, Lady Knight 1991. Wow. Wow. That's good. And that was like when you had to have your parents make them for you. So I had to actually ask my dad to do that, which was (laughs) he was cool about it. Oh, my God. I love that. Well, all right. That's enough about us. Honestly, too much. So the first book we're reading is Serpent and the Wings of Night by Carissa Broadbent. So, Rachel, it's like a spoiler-free summary of the book that you could offer. Okay. Giving no more information than it is on, I think, like the book jacket. We have a girl boss, obviously. She's a human girl in a vampire world. She's sort of the adopted daughter of a night king of the vampires. And she's going to enter into a competition, a huge Hunger Games style. Of course, as one must, if one is to come (laughs) of age, one must enter into a competition with long odds, underdog, with a lot of powerful vampires. And she's going to be a human. She might meet a hot vamp along the way who is originally, you know, one of her competitors, and maybe they'll work together, and I think we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, maybe just, like, some friendship, you know? Yeah, probably a platonic friendship. Yeah. (laughs) 
it's like a great book so high hopes for the second one which isn't out at the time we're recording but this is worth your whatever five dollars yeah if you haven't read it yet highly recommend i'd probably give it like a solid four four point five for me Good opener to a series. Loved it. Loved every minute of it. Now I'm like, okay, I want more about this world. I want to know what's going to happen. But kind of flew through it. Yeah. I'd give it like a four as well. It was really fun. It was really good. If you like the genre, just read it. It's good. It's fun. Ditto. Ditto. I think with that, we should probably transition towards actually doing what this podcast is supposed to. First, just just some brief content warnings. Yeah. This is literally, I think, what the book says. The content warnings are for violence, torture, off-page, flashback of rape parentheses consent withdrawn self-harm emotional abuse slavery and references to sexual abuse just a few just a few just a few just a couple although we will not linger on any of those yeah and also this is less technical but worth mentioning that there's a content warning for daddy issues as you know there tends to be in this genre Mm. and yeah that's an implied content warning i think per usual exactly par for the course really yeah In terms of spoiler warnings, basically, you know, we're going to be covering the book over the span of several episodes. You should be aware that you might get some spoilers for the whole book, potentially. Although I, Rachel, I have not finished the book yet. So (laughs) I think we're going to try to keep me unspoiled for the end of the book. Like, I think I'm in the 30s now, the 30s chapters as we're starting. Yeah. Although Will and I cannot be held accountable for our right. sins when it comes to spoilers or for me making extremely unsubtle references to future plot points. Exactly. Certainly not. Okay, should we should we move ahead? This first episode we'll kind of get into the start of the book. We'll meet our girl boss Oriya, Daddy Night King, learn a little bit about this vampire world we're going to be spending some time in. Maybe even meet a mysterious hottie who can say, (laughs) Dina, do you want to take us away? Hell yeah, let's do it. We drop into the book with a bit of a prologue. The first sentence kind of gives away what we're getting into here. The king did not know then that his greatest love would also be his ruination, nor that either would come in the form of a tiny, helpless human child. So we meet Araya. She's a child. She's stuck in the rubble of her burned down home in, I think, like a village or town that's also been completely ruined by, you know, we're guessing war. And three vampires land near her. They're about to eat her. She's biting one of their fingers. And all of a sudden, the king lands, which tells me they fly. So we have vampires who fly here. I'm already in. And the king goes to reach for her, lets her bite him, and then immediately calls her his little serpent, which I love. And I've been calling my cat little serpent all week. That's cute. I like that. I also love that, like, I don't, like, are her teeth that sharp? Right. Like, presumably they're just children's teeth. (laughs) Like, I don't know that many children, but like. (laughs) Nor have you had many children bite down on your fingers. No, but I feel like, yeah. Like, do they even have teeth? Okay. Also, they said the child was... She has teeth. <laughs> well, I don't know. It says the child was perhaps four, perhaps eight. I feel like there's like a huge difference between a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. Maybe if you're like an immortal vampire, not really. I think that's right. Maybe not for him, but for us, presumably. But like, can four-year-olds like talk? I don't know. I don't know anything about children. I don't either. I don't know what ages they do things, so... 
Okay, well, she is a child. She does have teeth. She's biting him. For some reason, he loves this. He is one of the most powerful and cruel creatures in this entire world. And he decides to adopt her because something warm and bittersweet stirred in his chest at the sight of her, which feels wild to me. And I don't know if it's like, you know, the whole feeling the current of fate or like seeing something in her or if there's something else going on here. Or it's like when you... You know, it's like you get a stray cat off the street, which like mm, I would never do. Feel but like, like I this be- cat yeah, I believe there are like some yours. people who kind of have that. Well, Rach did that. I did. Okay, so you get the perspective of this deadly vampire. Yeah, but I also wasn't like it was more. I wasn't like sort of a vampire king, right? Sort of in a war torn area, I was just sort of like adopted a cat. So, mm. so parallels, but but maybe a bit different. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, well, at least I appreciate that the book says hundreds of years later, historians would look back at this moment and be like, what the fuck? Why would he do this? Because that's what we ourselves are asking at this point. Chapter one, we are present day. We meet Araya as we meet all of our favorite girlies in this genre. That is, while she is about to kill some men, in this case, vampires. She does this often. She goes out in the middle of the night to kill vampires, even though she is a human and this is very dangerous for her. So I'm getting initially Buffy vibes with, say, a a Selena rising. Wow. I love that. She's in the human districts of the House of Night, which is the vampire kingdom that she lives in. And the humans are supposed to be safe and protected there. She calls them citizens, even if inferior ones. But feels pretty logical to me that the vampires aren't super big on human rights and so they clearly hunt humans anyway. Right now there's a vampire hunting a little boy who for some reason is out at night playing and she drops down on this vampire, does her little tried and true vampire killing routine, you know, finishes killing him and looks up and the boy and his whole family are staring at her. She looks at them and she feels super weird around them and she Basically feels like she's looking at zoo animals, even though she is a human. What we're supposed to get from this is like, they are not her and they're not the same. And even though she is a human and she knows that, she considers herself to be very different. And she's kind of disgusted by her humanness and her human flaws. And she doesn't like them. And so she doesn't want to kind of confront the fact that she's a human. Do they seem like, they're not like scared of her, right? I think it's more... They're probably just like, oh, shit. <laughs> we can curse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, what? They're like, oh, you that? just like murdered a vampire in front of me. Yeah. Um, my life is bleak. Which like, yeah. Right. I enjoyed that. It said she's done this on hundreds of nights, just like this one. Which means she does this like... Wow. Like, sh- like I think we found out shortly she's like 23. Yeah. Yeah, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Right. She's not like a 15-year-old savant. Right. We have a solid young adult here. She has some level of life experience. Right. She's been doing this hundreds of nights. Yeah, like people play in the NFL at 23, you know? Like you can, mm-hmm. one can do things at 23. Mm-hmm. Well, people also, don't they play in the NFL at 18? I don't really know. Maybe that's not allowed. I think actually that's not allowed, but I'm, okay. I wouldn't like bet my life on it. Okay. this is not <laughs> a sports don't podcast know. Yeah, yeah no sports don't know. i have no idea okay so then we follow araya through the rest of her night which i will say at first 
I was like, there's so much happening this night. And then I realized that the night is like the day to them. So it's like a full Mm. day, but it's a full night because they exist at night. Right. So first thing she does is she's on her way home, but she takes a detour to stop and say hello to her friend Alana, who is an old woman dressed in cascading chiffon dyed in waves of color. Queen. We have our girl Ori, who only wears black clothes, functional clothes, her leathers as they do. But Alana is always dressed very colorfully and gives Araya a gorgeous purple and gold scarf. And we learn that Araya loves this kind of stuff, but basically has like a secret drawer in her room where she puts all of these colorful, non-functional clothes that she will never wear. Because she's like fighting for survival every day of her life. She's no time for such like, yeah. Totally. Although as soon as I heard about this secret drawer, I was like picturing some kind of montage, you know, like makeover montage, Araya from like her leathers to like a hot dress. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely hot, right? Like she's she's hot. I feel like that's a given. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's required in the genre. I think we know that she's hot. I don't really pay attention. I guess she has gray. What does she have? Silver, gray eyes, maybe? Dark hair? Dark hair. Her eyes, they keep calling them something about like moonlight. Mm. Silver gray. Mm-hmm. It's a normal. It's a normal color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think definitely hot. And of course, you know, she's been training. She's been killing these vampires. She's got to stay fit if she's going to stay alive. So, yeah. Okay, so Araya really likes Alana because Alana isn't like other humans either. And so they she feels kind of similar to her in this way. But it's very different because Alana kind of did this to herself and she's voluntarily a blood vendor for some vampires. Most blood vendors don't even survive a year. So it's like, how the heck has this old woman survived this long? Is she that old? In my mind, she's like 40 something. I mean, she says she's wrinkly oh okay that's fair she smokes a lot of cigarillos so i'm picturing like grandma status Mm, mm. like she's got energy she's got flair but you know she's lived a life is the so is the deal like she gets a nicer apartment like what is she getting out of being i think that's right i think she lives in the nicer vampire district she doesn't have to use like she doesn't live in like the human slums Right, right. But I also think she and Will actually get to this because they have a little bit of a tiff and this kind of comes up because Alana's whole vibe is like wanting to live an exciting, adventurous life. And I think that's actually part of why she's there. So Araya and Alana get into a bit of a tiff about the Kajari that's about to happen. So the Kajari is a vampire tournament that happens once every century. And Araya wants Alana to leave the inner city when the Kajari starts because she's afraid for her, given how they sometimes use humans in trials and also there's going to be lots of other vampires around and so Araya is just like can you please just keep yourself safe and go leave go out to the human districts even just for a little bit and Alana this is when we kind of learn her vibe is like bah safety's overrated what kind of life is that I risk my life every day to be here it becomes a rebellion not to care so she has that kind of attitude and Alana eventually agrees to at least go away for the first few days of the Kajari to keep herself safe. And so Araya gives the scarf that she had just given her back to Alana. 
Araya is not the only one pissed. Alana is also pissed at Araya for entering the tournament, even though neither of them specifically say that out loud. And that is very fair. It seems wild to me that this human is entering a vampire tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll 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 get into this at some point, but it does seem to me just like if you find yourself in a kind of like fantasy or fantasy adjacent situation and like an older woman kind of gives you advice, I feel like you usually should follow it. Yeah, but you never will. Yeah, like the youth never will, but you should follow it. Yeah. And I think as we'll learn with Araya, she has these two people in her life who she cares about. And I think she is pulled into the other direction by the other person, Vincent, her dad, the daddy king. Daddy night king. Who we will talk mm-hmm. about. But Alana is annoyed at him. She's like, I can't believe he's making you do this. Araya is very much like, he's not making me. No, like I want to. It's my choice. Right. Which, questionable, some might say. We've all been there. We've all been there. So, Araya and Alana, they make up. Alana's going to go away and stay safe. Araya's going to enter the tournament. They, like, say some mean things to each other, which, like, means they love each other. And Araya heads out, and she goes back to her chambers in the palace or castle. But, of course, she's sneaking back in, so she has to, like, climb up the rocks to get in and it's like a night of pouring rain and she's just like casually scaling this entire wall (laughs) it's like i don't know yeah like i get it's just i think it is just there's you know there's like fantasy where it tries to be a little more like gritty and realistic Mm -hmm. and then there's just ones where you have to just sort of like take it with the flow like yeah she's gonna be like an expert wall climber it's fine totally totally so she gets back to her room just in time because Vincent shows up and he is immediately like doing dad things and saying her room is messy and she's doing daughter things and making fun of him. And he calls her an insolent brat, little serpent. And she notes that he never sounded more affectionate than when he was insulting me. Uh Oh, and (laughs) I love a good neg, but that feels like such a red flag. Yeah. We also learn here that Vincent has pale blonde hair. Yeah. Which obviously I'm like, okay, Lucius Malfoy. Yeah. So you're saying he's evil. Right. Right. What I'm getting here is that he's evil because we don't trust blonde men and we definitely don't trust blonde immortal men. Vincent is clearly very scared for her and he wants to continue to train for the Kajari. So he's being the ruthless trainer. She's thinking about how she never lets anybody except him get this close to her and how much he's cared for her her whole life. He's cared for her wounds. He's guarded her. And this is doing what it's meant to. I'm getting very conflicted about this guy and what his motivations are and what he cares about. Can I just say, I was really, okay, so when I first read this book, pre-pod, at some point at the beginning of the book, I convinced my boyfriend to, like, read it to me one night because there's no audiobook and, like, I need the audiobook. Mm-hmm. It was my bedtime and I convinced him to to read somewhere in the first, like, 20 or so pages to me. And, like, maybe it's, like, the, the house of the dragon of it all. Mm. But we had moments in the beginning where we were a little concerned about we're like is this because i also didn't read the jack like the back of the book or anything i didn't know Mm. the premise and we're like please tell me that this is not am i crazy no i think it's like there i think it's there there's a couple things like he was my fault i think and and so at some point mark read some line and then he just literally was like okay we're done i'm done with this and like (laughs) put the book down and like left and I couldn't find what it was, but like, I don't know. There was like, 
he says at some point he's like she says he was my father in name only or like something like that and i was like what and i think i never let anyone get this close to me i was like is this please tell me this is not happening i think it's just in this genre how everything is written in a way that is vaguely sexual even when they're like mid battle with demons like because vincent has to be like from the female gaze like sexy mm. as a character i feel like we've we've come into this in like other books too right and it makes it you get like confused like oh is this like oriah's view of him or is this like the general female gaze that we're supposed okay i got i got what you're saying like he's hot and strong too but we only have her pov to work with right now yeah. which although is- she, he, right. she is like wow he has like such long wings does she say that well, like, no, but kind of. <laughs> <laughs> they were long enough that the tips nearly brushed the floor. Oh, wow. Okay, so they're training. And during this training scene, we end up getting a lot of world building. Number one is magic. It seems like there's a pretty random distribution of magic across vampires. Like some vampires have it, some don't. It's you can't quite like tell who has it or not. And there is a couple of different types of magic. Vincent has something called Asteris, which is one of the most powerful kinds of magic. You know, the classic kind of pure energy derived from the stars, blinding black light capable of killing instantly the usual, Mm -hmm. which means he's, of course, very strong, very deadly. Vincent has tried to teach Araya magic, but she's only able to conjure little sparks which are quote-unquote pathetic compared to the skill of a vampire magic user. So key here for me is like, mm, human with latent magical powers. Yeah, definitely. And like, but like why, it's it's weird that like humans can have magic in this. I thought the magic was like, frankly, I have like, like a bit of a problem with the world building here. It just seems like mm. she's sort of written herself a blank check and she's like, I can sort of, what's it called? Dos ex machina, Deus ex machina, Deus, Deus ex machina. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like I can just like kind of like do whatever I want with the magic. I feel mm. like one of the keys to like fantasy that I really enjoy is they sort of set some ground rules mm. and then they like follow it. Cause otherwise you're like, okay. Yeah. Like I get, but right. So it's like human. There's, I think there's an, like later, there's an allusion to humans being able to do magic, which is fine, but it's just, it's never explained the like, realm of what is normal versus not normal like i think earlier when she kills that vamp in the alleyway she's like oh he must not have magic because like otherwise why didn't he like spirit her away or spirit the little boy away to like finish killing him and it's like okay so like Mm. some vampires can teleport that's like that seems like you know well i do think she was talking about him spiriting his wings away but also wait then if a vampire doesn't have magic does he just have his wings out the whole time can he not put them away? I don't know. I think the point is that it's like we're we're building through like an iterative yeah. process here, but it doesn't seem to me like there's like a whole lot of rules around who has magic and why and when. No, I agree. I would like to know more of the rules. Maybe we'll get that eventually, but right now all we know is it's random and it seems to be, as you know, well designed to suit the plot at any given moment. Which like fair play. Right. Okay, so we get a little bit about the magic. We also get a little bit of information about the Hiage versus the Rishan. Do we think I'm saying those correctly? No one knows. Okay, great. So there's the House of Night, and Vincent is the king of the House of Night. And there are two rival vampire clans that basically fight for control of the House of Night. 
every century or two. The Hiage, which is Vincent and his whole thing. And then the Rashan, which are their rivals. And they've basically been at constant war since the goddess Neoxia created vampires more than 2,000 years ago. Do we know why? No. Would I like to know why? Sure. Well, they have different wings and like that's, I don't know, it's like kind of hard to get over. Oh, maybe it's just kind of the innate tribalism of their different wings. Yeah. I mean, this is, right. This is like another ongoing like fantasy problem is like mm. the whatever the like fantasy speciesism, like mm-hmm. coding yes. as race, like essential racism right, right. in like a troubling mm-hmm. way. But it basically seems like, you know, they have feather wings. I sort of feel like the Hyaj have like bat wings is like how I was thinking about it. Yep, and they she she does say that at one time. The Hiaj have the featherless wings that are like membranous skin, like a bat. So mm. definitely picturing Illyrian warrior bat boys with the Hiaj. Mm-hmm. Yeah, versus the Rashan who have feathered wings. Also notable is that each of the clans tend to always have one heir right? Like the heir to the throne. And maybe that person's on the throne or maybe they're not. And the heirs only know their heirs because of the heir marks. And that's basically like red marks on wings or like a tattoo on their body. So Vincent has heir marks. He has this like ornate red tattoo on his neck, which seems hot. And Mm -hmm. that's how everybody knows that he's the heir. The other thing that we learn is that so there's the House of Night, But there's also the House of Shadow and the House of Blood. And those are different vampire kingdoms in the same country, continent, area, land of Neoxia. I do want to say just because I feel like I came across like two critical moments ago. Like I do find this very interesting and compelling. I'm such a sucker for like, uh, ooh, there's like there's like a different little sub kingdom over there. And like, Mm -hmm. how do they dress? Like, what's their deal? And I will say Mm -hmm. that like there are constant allusions throughout to like human kingdoms. And we don't even really like get the DL on them ever. So it's like you get you have this kind of like vague sense that there is even a much bigger world out there than the one we're in which is i like that's like very appealing i love that and it gets me excited for future books and where these characters might go for sure so we learned about magic we learned about these vampire tribes essentially we also get a bit more information about the kajari itself we are getting close to the start of it but nobody has it on like a shared calendar or anything it could start really at any time. It happens near the full moon, but, you know, Neoxia likes it to be unexpected. So basically be on high alert because it could start at any time. And what we learned about this tournament is that it's a once in a century tribute to Neoxia. It's five trials over four months, and there's only one winner with the prize being a gift from the goddess herself. So you can ask her for something for anything, I assume. And vampires from all three of these houses travel to participate some of the most powerful warriors from the house of night the house of shadow the house of blood and most people die in pursuit of this honor Araya's like yeah i'm most likely gonna die here but it never says like this isn't exactly like hunger games where it's like every single person must die but it Mm -hmm. does kind of allude to that so i feel like she's giving herself some loopholes here but she being we are made to think (laughs) i was thinking she like carissa broadbent oh yeah yeah True. But also, (laughs) also Neaxia. Yeah. But most people die, it seems.
obviously there is a big feast to welcome the competitors of the Kajari. And Vincent takes Araya to essentially check out the competition. He walks around this feast with her. He's guarding her very vehemently. And he's pointing out the different competitors and their weaknesses or things that she should know about them. And we meet a few characters here that are going to come up again. They are walking around and Vincent points out Ibrahim. And Araya cannot believe that Ibrahim is entering the competition. Ibrahim is a young vampire. He's meek. He has mutilated gums, jarringly absent of canine teeth, and a hobbled left leg because his parents had pinned him down and removed his teeth and ruined his leg. So he is at a weakness entering this competition. And we learn that this actually kind of happens a lot because of immortality, the succession from, you know, who's running whatever house or whoever's lord of whatever house yeah. is very bloody. And vampires will often kill their parents so that they could get power. Part of me is like, I don't know, you could have a kind of like abundance, like pro-housing agenda that might solve some of these problems. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's like that thing they say where it's like whatever, like they're always like, oh, well, like that like boy can't become a man until his father dies or whatever. And so like mm. that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from this. Right. It's like you probably could just create a new lord name and a new estate. and Like you're immortal. You, know. you have some time right. to figure right. it out. Start a podcast. <laughs> right. There's so much that you could do. But alas, that's the situation we're working with. We also meet Jasmine, Vincent's new general slash head of his guard. And she is super hot. She's wearing a low-cut red dress. She keeps her wings out. She's revealing both generous cleavage and a large white scar going up her sternum because apparently she once survived a staking, which is also very hot. Which I also, this is another thing I enjoyed. I feel like there's this kind of like, this whole take on fantasy, which is like, let's take a monster you're familiar with, but then defy all the conventions about the monster. Mm, yeah. And I enjoy that this is like, no, like, they don't go outside in the day. They mm -hmm. can be staked and that, you know, we're kind of staying within the classic tradition, which because so many people have tried to ditch it is like refreshing. Yeah. But they have wings, which, again, means a lot to me. Right. Because they don't usually have wings. I guess not. Well, I mean, they can turn into bats, right? Not always. I don't know. OK. Yeah. No, sure. We're checking out the competition. We're meeting a couple people. Vincent and Jasmine go off to have some kind of serious conversation. And of course, as she's standing alone, her eyes fall to the other side of the room where Wait, there is. Sorry, sorry. I'm so yeah. sorry. I just feel yeah. like there's like an important plot point we missed. Oh, go ahead. Which is that like apparently it's rare for a woman to achieve the rank of general. And so like sexism, like the patriarchy still rules the house at night. Right. Right. Wow. The patriarchy exists and Jasmine is a girl boss and we salute her for it. We love that. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, our girl boss Jasmine is talking to Vincent and Araya is standing by herself. She's at her guard and her eyes fall to the other side of the room where there is, as you might guess, a mysterious figure. Ugh. He is far from the dance floor. He's away from everybody else. He's not like everybody else. He is staring at a painting a small painting of a Rashan vampire falling from the sky that Araya really likes, but most people just tend to ignore it. Wow. He likes art. Yeah. He likes art. He's cultured. This is what we're getting. Oh, my gosh. We also learn that he's taller than most vampires and broad. His hair is dark red, nearly black, and fell across his shoulders in rough waves. 
and he has rust-colored eyes. We pause on both of these items because, first of all, I don't really know how hair can be so dark red. It's almost black. Me neither. Yeah. It's like a it's like a bottle of wine. Oh, hot. I feel like we're suspending disbelief about a lot of things here. So I feel comfortable doing that with the, the dark red. Yeah. No, I mainly want to say with, I guess, with that, but also with the red eyes, I simply am declining to picture him with red eyes. I think I am too. I don't I don't think I did that. Yeah, red eyes aren't hot. No, it's kind of weird. Like a stoplight red. Like that's like awful. Mm. You know, like maybe like a maroon I could like eventually mm. get behind, but even then. I think when she says rust, I'm more picturing a dark gold, which I know is not the same thing, but that feels hmm. hotter to me. Okay. Well, we're each on our own journeys. I mean, obviously, Will is is not really on any of these journeys because he suffers from aphantasia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Aphantasia. Look it up on Reddit because it's, it's perhaps not a real thing, but it is real. I like. Yeah, it, it's, it's real. real. Don't... No, poor Will can't picture any of this mysterious figure's hot body or red eyes. Yeah, I can't picture things in my head, but I can like think about it, you know. Right, right. In my head, I'm picturing a bit of Jamie from Outlander, but with darker features. Ugh, he is hot. But like early seasons of Outlander. I was like, just like, of course. like a like a promo, like reached my little eyeballs at one point of like the new season. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. Are they like 85 at this point? Like, Yeah, and he's just like not really doing it for me anymore. And I really liked him in a kilt. And I don't like it when he's like wearing other clothes. No, it's tough. It's tough for all of us to to go through that. But... Yeah, that's what I'm getting. Kind of like early Jamie Outlander, darker features. I am noting at this point that there's a lot of red associated with him. And, you know, that said, we'll just move on. Araya is kind of staring at him when she is approached by a tall, willowy, curly-haired woman who's kind of like bubbly and smiling and is just offering her food like it's nothing. And of course, Araya is extremely suspicious of this person being nice to her. At this moment, Vincent calls her and she leaves with him and we basically get set up here for the tournament to start. So Araya has to do her little blood gift. And so they do that. They're having a bit of a conversation. We learn a couple things here. Number one is Araya's motivation. So we know that she is from a Rashan part of the world. That's where Vincent found her. And she wants to go back there. She wants to see if there's any of her family that is still alive, but she can't do that as a human because it's too dangerous. So she wants to instead enter this tournament to the death where she would win and then she gets to ask for a gift and then she would be strong enough to go back to see her family. And we also learn the gift she wants to ask for. And that gift or her wish would be to become Vincent's Coriate. My Latin training is failing me. Is that how you guys said it? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. You know, we don't know how they pronounce things. This is what my ninth grade Latin teacher told me. We don't know how they pronounce things. And I don't know if that's true. So, but I'm going to say that that is true. If you have a problem, please look up Mr. Well, actually, I won't provide his name. <laughs> Let's not dox your old Latin no, teacher. No, <laughs> we won't. From our many, many listeners. <laughs> Okay, so we're going with Coriate, and what that means is she would be his heartbound, which 
means they would essentially share their powers or she would get his powers. So this is a very powerful bond. It's only been granted a few times throughout history. It has to be a god or goddess that grants it. And this would make her a vampire without the risks of turning. It would bind her soul to Vincent and his power would become hers and, you know, hers his, even though she does not have much to offer him, as she notes, which I will say seems sus to me. And also per Rachel's earlier comment, the whole like heart bound binding one souls to one in like a <laughs> it's like not a traditional father daughter relationship right that's a really good point at the very least it's extremely codependent yeah it's just a little bit weird also my thing with him being like no it's too dangerous for you to go there like surely if he wanted to make it happen for her to go visit he probably could i feel without all of this yeah, his excuses are... Well, and I mean, now I guess we should... I feel like we, Dina alluded to it. The logic is like, well, like turning you. Like, I guess like when vampires in this world turn humans, they quite often die. But at one point... Two out of three. Two out of three. But like, so instead you enter like a death competition. Like, are the odds yeah. better there? It just like doesn't really track. Right. The odds appear to be like nine out of ten. And I'm not extremely good at math, but it feels like statistically speaking, this is a dumb move. And so there's obviously more happening here from his motivational perspective. But she doesn't yeah. see that. I don't know. I also just uh, listen, I'm, I'm getting vulnerable here. I'm afraid because, again, I haven't finished the book, so I don't know. But turning back to the, the point that she was born in Rishon territory. I'm I'm no Sherlock Holmes, but I just feel that there's something more going on there. And maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But is she a long lost? Was she really like a just a human born in a in a wee human home there? I don't know. It seems like there could be something going on there. Maybe something to do with, oh, I don't know, rain. <laughs> Will and so... I are just sitting here with like Will has his hand covering his smile. I don't know, Rachel. It might be some of those things. It might be none of those things. It's wow. it's unclear at this time. Okay. I just want to I just want to plant that flag. Your responses have to be honest, given a lot, you know, maybe given a decent amount away. I actually don't think they have. I think you okay. I really don't think they have, but And also by the way, do you like me being like Again, making one of the most obvious observations and predictions of all time in like a fantasy genre of like, oh, seems like there's something going on with this. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really take a genius. No, no. On the contrary, I think we like we like you're here to bring your sort of like a deep literary insights and expertise. So we yeah. appreciate that. That's true. That's true. Anyway, I just wanted to, you know, plant that flag in the ground. I'm sure we'll circle back. Totally. This whole time I was trying to figure out what Vincent's deal was because it definitely seems like he's not telling her everything. But I can't tell if this is more of a like Draco's parents where they just like really like does he just like love her and want to protect her or is he being a little finger to her Sansa and is he just manipulating her to get what he wants? It seems to me like he's somewhere in the middle. He definitely does care about her, but he definitely has some other agenda here that we don't know about yet. Okay, so Ryan Vincent finished 
their conversation. They do her blood gift to Neaxia. They say a couple prayers. Raya offers her life to her and is like, I will give you my victory or I will give you my death, which is pretty dramatic. But, you know, I guess so is death. (laughs) True. And... You know, I think that is a great place for us to end. Death is dramatic. You heard it here first. (laughs) Mm -hmm. These are the kind of insights that you're going to get if you come back next time. Yeah, no, like deep, like freshman year of high school level analysis for sure. If that. Guys, this was so fun. I know. This was so fun. And please do come back next time. We have our fun little tournament starts. Our, our fun little tournament to the death. Can't we? Yeah, just just <laughs> dramatic little fun tournament to the death. Catch us next time. In the meantime, follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Pod. Hit us up on email. You know, all the usuals. And we'll see you next time. 